brought to you by the Remax collection. Visit remax.com/luxury. Each office independently owned and operated. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. The August jobs report was a little disappointing. Stephen I would Grosser? say that it was a little bit disappointing. Little disappointing. The August jobs report, uh, a little surprising. One hundred fifty-six thousand jobs were created. That was below expectations. The uh, unemployment rate went up to four point four from four point three. Should you be concerned? Should you be worried? Are there caveats? I think the thing to, to note, as our guest, Beth Ann Bovino, uh, pointed out earlier in the week, August typically disappoints. Typically disappoints. Beth Ann Bovino is the senior economist at Standard & Poor's. And as Stephen Grosser just let slip, she is our special guest on the podcast. Beth Ann, how are you? Uh, great to be here. And I guess, uh, ironically, a uh, happy Labor Day. <laughs> right. Happy Labor Day. And uh, sorry that we're all laboring. I think we're among the only people that are actually working today. It seems like it feels that way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are, uh, unfortunately, not uh, as many jobs as we thought would be uh, would be seen uh, going into the Labor Day weekend. Right, right. So give us your, your broad takeaway of this jobs report. What should we make of it? What should we be looking for within it? Well, historically, um, August is generally a slow month for business. Why? People are at the beach. You know, I'm I'm going this weekend. You take, you know, you get that last chance to uh, enjoy the sun before uh, before before fall starts. Um, but given that there were such strong readings for the ADP report earlier, um, and also initial jobless claims were holding up so um, at such a low rate, we really thought August would buck the trend, and it did not. Um, the, uh, the things that uh, we, you know, the things overall, we saw no surprise. Uh, le- leisure was very weak. We saw a big drop in in, mm-hmm. in leisure hires, largely because the boardwalk is closing down. Um, positive piece of news: manufacturing and construction were pretty strong, and so that means that uh, in that side, uh, partly tied to retooling ending, and also construction. Uh, unfortunately, probably will need even more after Hurricane Harvey. But construction was strong. Hey, uh, let me ask you the thing about the the beach. So, are you saying that people? Uh, are like actively not looking for work in August because they want to go to the beach. How does that? Am I missing? What am I missing? A survey. You can't really get a. You know, if I'm talking about the businesses, uh, somebody's yeah. got to sign the approval, and you know, and it's like if they sign it, you know, does it matter if they sign it uh, at the beginning of August or you know early August, or should they wait a little longer? Especially since everybody's out of the office. That's what hard to get, hard to have interviews, yeah. uh, hard okay. hard to get everybody to meet in the same uh, meeting room right. in order to agree that we should hire this person. Okay, just takes time. Yeah, no, it, uh, I mean you see that here all the time. I mean, just you know, on a personal level, uh, you know, every place people tend to take their vacation right, right before right. their children go back to school. Yeah. If you have hiring to do that, can extend the process out. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that I think is also important to note about August is the revisions. Like the mm-hmm. August is known for having big revisions, um, in you know the first and or the second and third time they come out uh, with reports, right? Correct. And there was, um, unfortunately, there were downward. Uh, we'll see what happens when August, uh, what happens with the September's report, because you could see August being up or revised. Yeah. But talking about revisions, this somewhat soft August number also came with it two downward revisions for the prior two months. So 
also to add to the disappointment. Um, I'll keep in mind, though, um, you know, we're still looking at, on average, for the last three months, uh, employers added about 185,000 jobs a month on average, and that's not so bad. Um, trend rate is uh, looking to be, given we have a slowing economy, uh, trend rate is really around 125 or even possibly lower um, later on. So it's still bucking the trend. Yeah, uh, let's let's switch. Let's talk about the wages is what I really want to say. I mean, because it's interesting, you know, we talk about all these numbers, how they're affected by August, uh, the, the seasonals, people at the beach, that kind of stuff. But I mean, the wage number is not really affected by that kind of a factor. Like you're working, you get a salary and that's what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, um, we thought we expected to see weight given that you know, as I mentioned, 185 for the last three months. And if you go back a few years, it was holding up over 200 um, on average from per month, uh, which looked rather good. And so we're very confused and disappointed that wages haven't really picked up. Um, they were pretty much flat, I guess, in August on a month over month, and mm-hmm. now just two and a half uh, for the year. And again, it's, it's, it's at least in real terms positive, but nowhere where we thought it would be. I guess the big question, obviously, is how does this impact the Fed? How does this play into sort of the picture or the, you know, the Fed's view of the economy and the labor market and inflation and all that? Yeah, that's um, so. So this, re, you know, so basically the softer wage numbers. Um, the first I want to say is we're not. We are um, looking at wages to pick up, but again, with uh, a slowdown kind of long-term over the next few years, as we expect, and, and growth, potential growth to also slow down, we don't expect to see the, Google, the go-go years of the, of, the, of the early 2000s, unfortunately. And this also means for the Fed, uh, low wages means slow inflation, and that means the Fed can take their time in raising rates. This supports our belief that the Fed won't raise rates this year. Um, they're going to move next year. And, and, and also keep it at a slow pace. The so-called exit rate, where the federal funds rate, that's their monetary policy tool, um, ends at, is going to be much lower than we have historically seen, probably around 3%. Wow. Now, where do you plug this in? Looking at, you know, there's a couple of things going on this week that I think are, are sort of larger bigger picture context type things, whereas we had the, the revisions to the GDP report, which came in very strong. And at the same time, I mean, everyone, you know, we've, we've been glued to the televisions up here in New York watching what's going on down in Texas. And it's even worse if you're down in Texas and in it and we, we feel for you. Uh, I mean, how does this number and this report kind of plug into the bigger picture of the economy and, and where it might go in the second half of the year? Well, um, that first that, you know, the second quarter GDP reading was a positive piece of news. Uh, uh, Again, it does come after a soft first quarter. So we're still in that 2% trading, trading rate is the wrong word, range for GDP, uh, growth rate. We're looking for two to two and a half going into uh, the second half of the year. So we're basically staying around 2%. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now what we can expect from the devastation from Hurricane Harvey, aside from you know, the loss of lives and all the, you know, and, and livelihood for many people, which is right. just a tragedy. Uh, we don't expect the impact on GDP uh, for the third quarter to be, we expect to be some hit, to see some hit, particularly because Houston is a big metro area, mm-hmm. but not as big as you'd want you to expect, because largely because of the rebuilding effect, depending on how fast 
and hopefully if the government does not shut down, how fast the money gets into that region, you can expect to rebuild. Unfortunately, it's for the wrong reasons. We'd like to see people, you know, you'd like to see the economy growing and rebuilding to extend to what we already have, not because of what we lost. All right. Beth Ann Bovino is senior economist at Standard & Poor's. Uh, Beth Ann, we really appreciate your taking time on the, the Friday before Labor Day. You are dedicated. <laughs> I have to be, I guess. Right. <laughs> Got to get that paycheck. Exactly. Even if it's a little lower than we what we hoped. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. All right, Beth Ann, thanks. Have a good weekend. And we will come back with more on the Jobs Report, the economy, everything going on in the business world. You are listening to Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. This episode is brought to you by the Remax Collection, seasoned real estate agents who help open the door to the most luxurious properties worldwide. Visit remax.com slash luxury to learn more. Each office independently owned and operated. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts, as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen here in the studio in New York City. And we are going to switch gears a little bit here, uh, Mr. Grosser, talk about tax policy. That's right. Obviously, uh, the Trump administration is still trying to push forward on tax reform. Uh, on, on Thursday, they had said that they have a plan that they will be releasing soon. We expected uh, Secretary, the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said that they're still on track for a year-end reform plan passed. Hopefully, you know. Well, I mean, I think this has been. The hope and goal of the you know right, Republican exactly. Party to have tax reform and this is, and, and you know I think corporate America has been hoping for this a lot too. I mean there are a lot of people hoping for tax reform, right? And assuming uh, it does happen, well, the con- Congress has a very busy schedule, extremely busy schedule, as we were talking about earlier this week. But but let's assume that a tax plan happens, and uh, what we expect is that. It will have an impact. It will have an effect on the M and A market. Right. That's really where we're trying to drill down to here. That's what we're going to talk about. To to help us, we have on the phone Jasper Howard, who is a partner in the global tax team at Hogan Lovell in Washington D.C. Jasper, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Jasper. This is uh, this is Steve Grosser. Um, I guess the question I'd like just to kick it off is we've gotten very little in terms of specifics and details about what this tax reform or what they're kind of trying to push for. What are your expectations that we're going to see once they release, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the tax reform? Well, I think, you know, you, you've seen the outline and that, um, that President Trump has released, and it's very, I mean, it's a one-pager at this point, and I think the statements he made um, this week have sort of echoed that. But I think that the key elements of it, I think, are going to be the, the lower corporate tax rate. Um, now, he's proposing 15%, whether we'll actually see something that low, I'm a bit skeptical just be because if we're trying to be revenue neutral, that's a very hard number to get to, If you, according to all the economists. Um, and some of the other features, I think, again, what a lot of people have their eyes on is there's a lot of talk of potentially limiting the deductibility of interest. And that has a lot of people concerned, and that runs across, across a number of sectors. Other, I think the other big piece uh, I just want to mention, I guess, would be the move to a sort of what we'll call a territorial tax system that would basically sort of simplify how 
profits and tax overseas, and in, in particular, of most interest is, is, as it relates to M&A, would allow a lot of current U.S. companies who have essentially trapped cash overseas, uh, allow them to bring that back to the United States with uh, a much reduced tax cost, which I think would be a very welcome development for a lot of companies, particularly, say, in the, the pharma and tech areas where there uh, are, are lots of cash overseas. Let's uh, let's drill down on that a little bit. Like, how specifically will tax reform and you know, sort of the, some of the policies that you just um, discussed, how will that uh, you know provide a boost to MNA? Because you guys came out with a paper uh, this week about that. Well, again, I think there's a few elements to it. I think one is the um, the fact that again, if you the report that was released this week by the Trump administration, I, everyone has different numbers, but the report there was that the cash overseas uh, held in foreign, foreign subsidiaries of U.S. companies is more than $2 trillion. So if um, a significant portion of that gets brought back into the U.S., then it's got to be channeled into something. And I think the, the goal would be or the expectation would be that's going to be funneled in part to fuel more M&A activity. And a, a couple of other things in particular, if you have a significant reduction in the U.S. corporate tax rate, I think in some ways that makes U.S. companies more likely targets of takeovers by foreign companies because their return on their investment are, would be better because they'd be paying less to, um, in, in U.S. taxes on whatever investments they make in U.S. companies. So there's a, there are a couple of the a couple of things I think you would see. And I think the, the other thing to keep in mind, and I don't know if you've seen, there are a number of people have been talking, the CEOs of some major companies have been saying, well, we're sort of sitting on the sidelines until we see what happens. So I think when, when there's more certainty, I think you'll see people more willing to make investments and, and do deals. One of the questions um – I have is also to do with the financial service industries because in your report, you see they could be one of the losers if the U.S. scraps the territorial tax regime. That's right. That's right. Because I, I think, again, the thought is that many of the financial services industry at the moment, they operate in in branch form, as we call it, or without foreign subsidiaries. And if we move as expected, or at least the proposal would be to move to a so-called territorial tax system where uh, foreign income earned in foreign subsidiaries is, not, is only taxed in the foreign jurisdiction or, and not taxed separately when the, the profits are brought back into the U.S., then it essentially favors, uh, in that regard, putting or doing your overseas investment through foreign subsidiaries. So my expectation would be they might be disadvantaged initially, but likely there would be some restructuring that they would undergo or likely could undergo to remove that disadvantage. And they, they would also benefit from lower corporate tax rates. I mean, that was essentially one of the big boosts to them um, earlier in the year after the election. Exactly. No, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, again, obviously, the other thing that the financial sector is looking at is is uh, what are going to happen to the debt markets if in a world where uh, interest deductions might be limited. I mean, some people have been speculating that what that might do is um, incentivize companies to 
uh, not borrow in the U.S., but put all their borrowing in their foreign uh, operations. Would this create a situation where I'm just thinking about the fact that, you know, borrowing interest levels are still so low. I mean, our company's going to start. Does the math start changing on the the the, the calculus, uh, the calculation here of like, should we use this money that we're sitting on this cash that we can now bring over and get taxed at a lower rate? Is, is it more favorable to use that money to do M&A deals? Or is it still better for us to actually borrow because the, the rates are so low? Does that gap get narrowed? Does the, the, the math change on that? How does that whole dynamic play out? Yeah, th- that's a good question. I mean, I, I'm, and I don't know for sure how, I mean, prob- there are probably a lot of different ways one would look at that, but I think I think that's fair with interest rates at, at such low levels as they've been for quite some time. I think you're you're right that maybe that uh, there's a and, and that and that's probably a good thing in terms of where that cash gets put if if we're looking to have a boost in investment in the U.S. and in uh, in M&A in general that certainly the ability to um, sort of maintain the the existing low rates and the low financing probably uh, there there would be an incentive to simply. Uh, leave that in place. And in, in terms of what is actually going to happen in Congress this year, I mean, how are companies responding to this? What are they looking at? I mean, the administration has been talking since day one about tax reform. They were promising something earlier this year. It hasn't come about. Now, as you say, you know, we have a one-page sort of summary. How, how do companies watch this and respond to this and follow it and track it? Well, my experience is in in this environment where there's so few details that most people are, you know, sort of uh, preparing for this and waiting to see when the details come out. Because I think the the notion, the for example, we saw the the four goals that the uh, that the president laid out this week, and I think everyone thinks those are all good goals to try to achieve from simplification to lowering taxes to, um, you know, I guess another one was, you know, um, freeing up capital for on the worldwide basis. I mean, these are all good goals. I mean, that most people will support. The tricky part is how do you maintain revenue neutrality? And so what I think most people are doing, they're looking at this and they're expecting that, that, if we're going to broaden the base by lowering the tax rate, they're looking at this thing. Okay, what are, what are the what are the items that benefit my sector and my industry, and are they going to be coming under attack? And I think there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines now, but I think very soon are going to be jumping into the fray, saying, "You need to preserve my 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 benefit or my tax break or my interest deduction or my deduction for." state and local taxes and so forth. And so I think you'll see a lot of people jumping into the fray soon when there are some concrete proposals out there, which eventually they're, they're going to have to be to, to ha- as a revenue offset if we're going to lower the corporate tax rate along the lines that's been discussed. One of the questions, and you touched on this in the report, is lowering the tax rate also benefiting buyers of U.S. companies. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, again, I think it's simply a, a little bit. The notion is that it's the, it it um, 
increases the return on, on their investment because you see a lot of foreign companies that are buying, if they decide to make an investment into in the U.S. and buying a U.S. company, for example, you know, their return and their cash is basically what cash can they pull out of that U.S. company at the end of the day and, and move back to their home country. And so what, they, what they're able to pull back is a function of, one, what is left after taxes. And so rather than a 35% tax rate, if it's actually where it gets 15%, that 20% additional cash flow is a significant number to encourage investment in a U.S. company. Okay. Uh, Jasper Howard is a partner at Hogan Lovell's Global Tax Team. He's down in Washington, D.C. Jasper, thanks for taking some time. We really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. All right. And everyone, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Zscaler extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines trained by 500 trillion daily signals to prevent ransomware and AI attacks that target business. Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI. Learn more at zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.